Episode 9 of Courtside Indiana Podcast is really just an extension of Episode 8 earlier in the week. We get into transfers at, at Indiana and Purdue, as well as early entry in the, in, into the NBA. Uh, UND coaching situation, along with comings and goings of UND, as well as NAIA teams across Indiana. Moving on now to sort of the college side of it and a little bit of talk about maybe some NBA stuff with the early entries into the draft. Transfer-wise, the two biggest ones, None of some of these are not news by now, but the two biggest ones, Demise Anderson leaving Indiana, Matt Harms leading Purdue, or leaving Purdue. What Zach, what did you think of you saw Demisia play a lot in high school. I saw him play some. I saw him play more in the summer than I did during the school year. What What was your thought on Demisia? A little bit start a little bit heading into IU, and then then his impending, and then his is obviously his subsequently his transfer into Loyola. Yeah, sure. Uh, my first experience with Demisia Anderson was actually his freshman year of high school. I remember. Same here. I remember going to a game with with Ryan, Coach Lightfoot at Northridge High School and the first thing he told me was this kid's going to be D1. He wasn't sure right then how high, but that, that's one memory I've, I've always had about Demise Anderson was that day, his freshman year, Ryan telling me he will be D1 just from what he saw in that little that that game at Northridge. Uh but as the years went by, I think the same thing was said most of the time was Okay, we know this dude can score it, but but is that? And we knew that would translate to the next level most likely. But then the, the thing was, I think defensively is what what a lot of people are talking about now. Also, like who is who is Demise going to be able to defend? And uh, I think unfortunately that has caught up with him now uh, with this transfer from IU to Loyola. Uh, I know he was down. It sounded like to Valpo, Grand Canyon, and Loyola. And then ended up staying closer to home here at Loyola. Yeah, his his seventeen and under summary shot. I want to, if I remember correctly, shot like forty seven percent from three. And I and it, that definitely is a game changing number, especially at that competition, for sure. And no question. I saw him too as a freshman. I saw him at Warsaw. And, and and liked him. You could definitely tell that his game was going to develop more away from the basket than what he was being used as. And 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 they had let him there was some allowance for him. There was some part of the offense for him to get opportunities to get scoring options three point line and, and either on the catch and shot or, or a drive. But at that level it was pretty much a drive. Uh, and he was pretty much a post player the rest of the way. Yep. But you could definitely tell he was his game was going to move further and further out. That that was going to be part of his development. It just he was doing what it could. I mean, that year I'm going to forget the third guy. The third guy was the second best. The second best one. It was Demise. It was um, the left-handed guard, and then it was the, the Grundy, the kid that kind of started at power forward for yeah. I mean, they started three, they started three freshmen. Yeah. Marlon Taylor. Marlon. Uh, 
No, who was the long, long lefty? Awful. Should know that. I mean, yeah. I'm the, he's not awful. I'm awful for, for not remembering his name. Uh, he, they started three freshmen. Demisi, it was the left-handed guard, and then it was then Grundy. And that was a team that I think won 10 games during the regular season and then got all the way to the regional final and got beat. And then Demisi's senior year, they get into semi-state. They get over that hump and kind of get thumped, thumped by Carmel. And you could you could definitely see still the limitations of his game in terms of how he plays away from the ball on both ends. And that really hurt him in Indiana. And Or I shouldn't say Indiana. I, that really hurt him at the high major level. Because Demisi is a kid that when he was getting increased playing time as a freshman, when they just absolutely positively needed his shooting, he was a guy that that they liked that he was working defensively. Still made a lot of mistakes, most of which were off the ball. And and those are game changers because those are game you know those are situations where you know, every now and then there would be somebody that would come loose on a possession and it would be his guy. And it, it wasn't like he was lazy. It just it, it's an it's an awareness issue. And keep in mind, guys who are highly intelligent can completely lack <laughs> spatial awareness. Oh yeah, ru- rules awareness. The the. I've learned long for a long time in coaching that that guys who are smart in the classroom, you know, doesn't necessarily translate to being completely aware on the basketball court. So this is not this is not a an assessment of Demisi as a whole. It's just that he would just freaking get lost on the defensive end of the floor. Yep. And the offensive end of the floor, he, he just didn't have any significant movement without the ball coming coming into college and you know when he was going to IU I was surprised by the offer I know he had big numbers at Riley but you know then you look at what he did in the summer he shot 47% from three was you know and you think that's a premium but then it just never translated to Indiana right and a kid like Jerome Hunter, who they, you know, realistically have a higher opinion of ceiling wise is starting to come, you know, started to come around and, and had passed him up and they bring in all these wings with Galloway, Leal and Geronimo. It just became obvious that, that even though Demisi, God love him, loves it down there. Right. You know, it became a basketball decision. So, um, him going to Loyal, I think it's a good fit. It's a, it's a little bit more of a structured offense. But, you know, he's a kid that at that level can can probably physically guard multiple positions. Even sometimes at four, they can go small with him, and he's probably going to be able to guard a lot of fours in that league. And that, to him, could be a game changer in terms of his role, in terms of his playing time. Um. Matt Harms, what do we think of the Harms transfer? This is definitely old news. What do we think of the Harms transfer to BYU? 
<laughs> yeah, uh, you and I were talking about that. Uh, and I was, my take was, I'm not sure what he's trying to get out of, out of, uh, leaving Purdue. What, what's he going to, what more is he going to do somewhere else is, was my take on that. When I saw he was down to BYU, Texas Tech and Kentucky, I just, I wasn't sure what, where, what he was going for there. And I guess I haven't really dove into that any deeper to see what he actually was, why he's leaving or what he was looking for somewhere else. But, but yeah, he ended up at BYU. So maybe we'll see what happens there. I mean, by the end of it, he had, he was losing playing time. Oh, no doubt. At, at Purdue. Right. I mean, is it, is it Travion Williams? Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there was no question that, that he was at best shared and and, he, and both those guys are pure fives. I mean, there's probably certain situations. I mean, I think Harms is laterally quick enough. We've talked a lot about some guys that are having issues laterally. Harms is laterally quick enough. He could probably guard a lot, you know, multiple, you know, the four spot in, in a pinch. Sure. If nothing else, it's because he's seven foot freaking two, but, um, and not slow, but offensively, I mean, am I missing something? Does he have – is there offensive skill there that I haven't seen? I mean, you've probably watched Purdue more than I have. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just – you mentioned him losing playing time. Uh, but, yeah, other than that, I don't. I just don't see what the, the reason was for leaving for his last year. Um, sliding down a notch – University of Indianapolis hired new new head coach. Stan Gerard left Indianapolis after having a great year, actually a great coaching tenure at Indianapolis. He um, went to Southern Indiana, which is his alma mater. I was surprised by that. We could, you know, that's that's a different topic, and not. But Paul Casaro came in. He was an assistant there at University of Indianapolis. He was then moved on to being assistant at IPFW or well Purdue Fort Wayne, and now has come back as the head coach at Indianapolis. And what that has done, I should say, in the in the wake of his decision to be the head coach, there have been three pretty big transfers: one going out, two coming in. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. I don't know how much you've seen any of these guys play. They're all Indianapolis area guys. So um, if people are tired of hearing me talk, they're going to get a large dose of it right now. But <laughs> the, the, the one guy going out is 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 um, is um, Trevor Lakes from Lebanon, who averaged about 15 and a half points a game for him and six and a half rebounds as that sort of stretch four outstanding shooter, outstanding shooter at six, seven. And, and the interesting thing was, was that he had committed to Maryville heading into his senior year, his senior season. And then that coaching change prompted him to reopen his recruitment. And Paul Casaro was a huge part of why he, why Indianapolis recruited him. Um, was involved in a workout at Lebanon where, where Paul definitely was at. And he loved him. I mean, he was proactively involved 
in recruiting him to Indianapolis. He goes to that workout. Trevor performs well, and he loves him, and Stan offers the next day. I'm not even sure Stan waited. I think Stan may have offered that night. And when Coach Gerard left to go to USI, one of the things Trevor did was is he put his name in the transfer portal with the idea of seeing sort of measuring what interest he could get versus who you Indy hires. And, and the, the intention was, is that, you know, once you Indy hired their new coach, maybe have this discussion. Okay. Is this where I'm going to stay? But, but then he just, the interest in him from a, from a division one level, got to the point where it was like, all right, he's probably going to go to division one school. Sure. It kind of took off. And it hit a little bit. And it wasn't one of those weird deals where it sort of snowballed exponentially, but it was definitely look, Xavier had made an offer early right out of the gate. And I think they reassessed their situation a little bit because he had to sit a year. I think they're looking for somebody. I think when they really came down to it, it was more about, um, they didn't want to get in a situation where they were committing to somebody for two years, you know, and the division one schools that were other, you know, they're also involved in Nebraska is, you know, the, obviously it's where he's committed to along with Kobe Webster, who's another Indiana, Indiana kid who was at Western Illinois, had a great, great three years at Western Illinois. So both those guys are going to Nebraska and Nebraska's, actually a school that was excited about him having the city year they've, they've got they had some transfers come in uh from you know last year there's a lot of turnover when hoiberg took over and they can they came in now and they need that gap year for to give trevor a chance to develop physically again defensively on the defensive end and if there's one thing that coach hoiberg loves it's a kid who can hit shots i mean every coach loves that but when you shoot the ball like like coach hoiberg did as a player you you tend to hunt that guy and at least in terms of shooting trevor can be that guy now in terms of the overall type of player he's probably going to be more of a niche for those that followed uh ryan wellage's transfer from san jose state to xavier at San Jose State, he averaged, I don't know, close to 13 points a game. He, but he averaged about four and a half threes per game, four and a half three attempts per game. He goes to Xavier and his scoring drops off considerably his final year, but he's still averaging about four threes per game in terms of attempts. So his usage from the three-point line stayed the same. And his scoring dropped, and he and he shot. I I think he shot around thirty five, thirty eight percent. So at six seven six or at six eight six nine, Wellage is a kid that you know they they would consider you know maybe a defensively a four. His usage at the three point line was the same as it was at San Jose State, and his efficiency was the same. That's interesting. So that was, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, he becomes a niche player at Xavier. So that was the discussion with Trevor as a kid. So disclosure, Trevor played for my program. And so I was involved in, in his recruiting going into after, you know, going into senior year and into this transfer situation. So the discussion became, you know, what are you looking for? 
and this this is important with any kid, by the way. The discussion became, what are you looking for? And for him, he wanted a challenge. You know, sure, if if UND had if if the timing had been different, he'd probably still beat UND. Okay. But he was looking for a challenge. And schools that he wanted to be challenged by or the level he wanted to be challenged by stepped up. And Nebraska was one of them. So then it became a discussion of, okay, what happens if you become a niche player? Like you're just that pick and pop guy. And I think he thought about it and he was fine with it. You know, if that's his baseline, then he's good with it. Now, what he's got is a year to develop and a year to do other things you know, to where he can improve his body and learn the offense. And if he can, you know, be more than an itch player, then he's obviously loves that. But for his, for his perspective, he was looking for a challenge. He wanted to play it at the highest level possible that, that fit his skill set. And be real blunt. Coach Hoiberg was like, I love shooters. You know, I mean, who doesn't, but I mean, coming from him, it's like he just wants to get a bunch of guys who can hit shots and then they're going to figure the defensive end of the floor later. And, you know, I don't know a lot about the rest of their roster other than the fact they struggled their first year. But I loved watching his Iowa State teams play. And, you know, they were fun to watch. And I liked the Bulls offensively when he was there. They just could never really get much talent when he was the head coach. So... I don't know. It'll be it'll be fun to watch the kid that I'm invested in a little bit. See how he does. I mean, he's probably one of the best shooters in the country, especially at the Division two level. And at six seven, you know, he's a kid that can play that stretch four. And um, so it's a it's kind of a tough loss for you, Indy. But then they bring in two guys that I think should really help him, and Aaron Etherington and Jacoby Robinson and uh, you know, Arrington both had really good careers. Jacoby Robinson was a state champion his junior year at Warren central six, six pretty skilled sort of that skill level where you're thinking, all right, what translates and what doesn't, you know, and at, and at the division two level, he can, he can play multiple positions. He can definitely guard multiple positions. He's long, isn't he? Oh my God! Yeah, he's long. He he can be a second. Yeah, he could be a secondary ball handler. You know, which is to say that if if they're getting pressured or he gets an you know he gets a, a loose ball situation like a you know rebound outlet or rip and run, he can be that guy that can bring it up. He can probably guard four positions in the GLVC. Definitely in a switching system or or, or getting caught on a hedge. He can guard multiple positions. Um, you know, and Etherington is a kid that extremely versatile offensively. Probably more of a tweener defensively, three four. And he, you know, he was at Toledo, and definitely at that at that level, he's a tweener defensively. Uh, offensively, I like that. He should be able to be functional in the post, but he's also a really good three-point shooter. He could put the ball on the floor if he needs to. Uh, and he's, you know, I, I know part of the transfer down was be to he didn't want to sit. But then also UND being close to home, uh, 
I know probably Cosaro was probably a guy that recruited him to Fort Wayne, you know, and he decided to go to Toledo instead. And, you know, obviously Paul was hitting on getting a chance to get at guys that he recruited a little bit before he went to Fort Wayne, guys he liked, and then guys that he, when he was at Fort Wayne that he recruited that ended up going elsewhere. And all in all, kind of a net plus for, for you, Indy. I don't know how much you've seen Jacoby Robinson and, and Aaron Etherington, but, but I'd say his first week or so on the job, Casaro's, despite losing Trevor Lakes, has, has improved There's his team's, his talent level. Yeah. sounded like it. Um, you get a chance to see any of those guys play in high school. Uh, I saw Jacoby, I think one time, but, uh, Etherington, I hadn't seen, huh? Uh, yeah. Two guys with Carmel schedule, especially just got a chance to see him play a lot, but, um, but really, really liked their versatility at that, especially at that level. And, and, and looking forward to seeing how they fit in there. And, and neither one of them have to sit. Now, Jacoby Robinson has some health issues leaving McKendry. Honestly, I don't know specifics. There's a lot of stuff on social media about it. So hopefully he's, he's recovering well. And I don't, I don't know that he'll, if he'll be ready to play this season. I don't know that he won't be. Uh, but, but, but Aaron Etherington will not have to sit because he transferred down. So that moves us to the Crossroads League, which is your neck of the woods. Um, talk a little bit about – we're going to talk some transfer stuff there and then some recruiting stuff there. Let's start with the transfer situation with, with some of the kids that have transferred into that league. Yeah, sure. Uh, and, and, again, these are probably guys that you're going to be more familiar with than I am just because of, of where they went to high school for basketball. Uh, yep. Uh, St. Francis got K.J. Coleman. For, uh, Cincinnati, yep. Cincinnati Christian closed down, and he's from Tindley, I believe, originally. He is, yep. And uh, yeah, he ended up there, yep. Okay. Uh, lefty, uh, left, lefty point guard who is, um, I, I like that look, the, the kid will play at whatever system you can play. And he's a, he's a good teammate. He is a, um, he's probably better suited if he's creating shots for others and becoming that second catch guy. What I would say would be like a guy that maybe sets a screen and gets that, that next pass for a jump shot. than a guy that you're running a bunch of screens for, I think he's really good in ball screen action when he's downhill. And, uh, you you know, I don't, you know, at St. Francis, you know, I don't, I don't know what he did last year. I know that school closed, right? You were yeah. telling me that, that. Yeah. Cincinnati Christian closed. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what he does at St. Francis because they have, uh, Jalen mole coming oh, back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kush is still there. Uh, Tyler Smith, uh, Dan McKeemans. He came back from Cedarville transferred into St. Francis, uh, Hayden Smithy. So they're gonna be really crowded at that guard position. So we'll see how that all plays out too. Uh, other transfer, other transfers, just in the crossroads league. Yeah, uh, Marion got Jack Hansen from IUPUI. Yes, did he sit out Love here him. or did he redshirt? What did he do this year? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I <laughs> sat once. Coach Gardner got let go. I didn't follow it. You know, I didn't get a chance to watch them play this year. They were they had an average year, if not a little bit below average, and it, it just. 
my interest in my alma mater sort of was like, I'm going to go watch Coach Gardner coach, kid that I watched a lot when he played. Um, once the high school season gets here, I kind of cut off going to college games. But um, the um, what I like about Jack is he's going to be great in the crossroads. I mean, well, he is at, right. at that level, he's hugely versatile. Six, seven, really skilled. And, you know, defensively, you know, I don't, I think, I think that level was his ceiling. And, you know, with the coaching instability at IUPUI, it, it's hard to blame a kid that wants to look elsewhere, especially, you know, if it didn't, if he didn't get a lot of playing time, I don't know that he redshirted or not. Um, that'd have been good to look up before we talked about it, but, but. Yeah, I just noticed he wasn't on the roster for him this year. So, and it, I believe he still has three years of eligibility left. So I wasn't sure. Yeah, he would if he just sat out or just took a year off, or what. Yeah, I don't. I don't know the answer to that. I knew he but, had. I knew he lost a brother, didn't he? Oh, you do. Oh, see, I don't know. I don't know that. I didn't. Not. I didn't. Didn't dig into it that deeply. Um. But from a from a on the court perspective, he's I mean, he's going to be really good in that league, and you know they've had some success, no different than Iwu. They they've had some success at bringing in D one guys, and and those guys just really being being key players for them. And I like his range. I think he's he's really good at the three point line. I think he's really good in the paint. I don't know how good he is at, at putting the ball on the floor. Uh. I mean, he's certainly going to be able to drive and finish. I mean, I guarantee he handled the ball some, but not not like not to initiate offense. I think they were comfortable with him if he got an outlet pass or if he was able to get a rebound and, and go with it. But but just his ability to he's just so strong. He's got a great frame on him, and I think what he what he grows, you know, what he what he sort of as he gets himself into you know into as he starts to mature physically, just as kids do when they're 18 to 22 years old, he's going to be a load offensively because I think he's going to be able to, to pretty much play anywhere on the floor for Marion, especially in their, especially in their motion. Yeah. So, that'll be perfect for them. Then crossroads. Uh, and the, that was about it. Transfer wise for crossroads. Tra- transfer wise. Yeah. Uh, for the crossroads league anyway. And then we knew uh, Julian Hunter ended up at, IU IU Kokomo for recruit for recruiting yeah the recruiting side of it yeah he's he's uh for those don't know his dad was um that um the um Chad Hunter played Indiana State Indiana All-Star nine class in 1997 I want to say he uh Julian was a kid that was played a lot of varsity or a decent amount of varsity as a freshman at New Albany and had a lot of injuries his junior and senior year. So it really stunted his development uh, skill-wise. And he is a, a high-motor kid. He's, he's a high-caliber kid. He's a great kid. And I don't know too many kids that work as hard as he does, especially on the court, you know, especially in games. And is a, is a kid whose outside shot, his perimeter shot, didn't necessarily develop as he got older, 
But again, he spent so much time dealing with injuries that it's no different at that level than it is the professional level where when you're, when you're really injured and you're rehabbing, you're not developing. And in some cases, your game atrophies a little bit, just like your, your body might atrophy. But completely in love with his work ethic, completely in love with his, his character off the court. Um, he will be a guy there that if he can get to a point where he can attack off the dribble and, and be a motor guy around the paint, he, he's going to have a really good career there at IU Kokomo. And, and that's a guy, you know, Eric Eckelbarger is the head coach there. He's really brought that program along in, in his years, you know, in just the short time he's been there. And they were one of the nine teams that got to the the final 32 of the NAI championship or the NAI tournament. And as much time as we spent on the Crossroads League, or as much time as we've talked about them so far, and probably will continue to talk about them, which we're going to blame you for that, right? That's right. Uh, you know, IU Kokomo, along with IU East and, and IU South, are, are going to be you know, teams that we also get a chance to talk about when it comes, when they start bringing in recruits, transfers, Holy Cross as well. I mean, the NAI level. Yeah. I mean, the the NAI level is in Indiana is probably the best in the country. And that's what makes it fun to talk about. So, so yeah, Julian Hunter committed to, to IU Kokomo. Uh, Garrett Ott large has since our last, since you and I last spoke on a podcast has since committed to St. Francis, correct? Yes, correct. I talked to his dad the other day. He let me know that he was going to pull the trigger on St. Francis. He had offers from uh, Wabash and Goshen also. Shooter, right. shooter, shoot, really good shooter. That's, uh, I mean, friends with Brayton Bailey also, who is uh, at St. Francis now as well. Yeah, they, 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 they played together growing up and and Garrett, an early maturing kid. Definitely. Been yeah, been six one since the seventh grade. And puberty can be unkind to kids in, in either direction. You could be that guy that is is really, really developed physically as when he's young and he's dominant and and you know, people people pass him up physically, athletically, and then there's the kid that I'm thinking of a couple of guys right now, but they're they're younger, so it doesn't really matter yet. But then there's kids that you know are, are really really skilled, and I mean Garrett was always skilled. Don't get me wrong; that's what made him recruitable. But then you get kids that are really skilled that haven't hit puberty yet, and they're still like five foot five inch freshmen, you know, or or, or kids. I you know a kid that I coached, Sean McDermott, was a kid that was a freshman was five nine, you know, and this thin little waif of a tweener guard who ends up being a guy that plays a little bit of four in the big East. Um, but Garrett, the one thing I've always loved about him was he, he could really shoot the ball yep. and, and, and a, and a heady player and a, and a guy that as much as you could kind of tell that, you know, he was going to develop that he was going to be the, the, the requisite size to, to play the shooting guard at some level in college. And that's kind of what ended up happening. And, um, you know, he was a guy that in middle school you just everybody's like you got to go get that kid you know you, and I what I always liked about him even though you could kind of tell that maybe physically he was he was sort of reaching his 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 peak there physically um, he really was a, a smart player and a kid that could you know a kid that shot the ball well and and 
and decent length, you know. And his older brother, where does older brother play? The older brother played at Bethel, right? Uh, yeah, his cousin, Gage. Cousin, okay, Gage. So they're cousins, not yeah. brothers. Yeah. All right. Um, and he's paired up there with with Braden Bailey, who we've talked about here before. Um, again, another motor guy, real big time motor guy, and you know Damon Bailey's son. Big shoes to big shadow to walk in, uh, but but a good leader on the court, and I I think a kid that as he gets deeper and deeper in the college game and gets to spend more time getting in the gym getting up shots as his shots develop um, a little bit more he's going to be a guy that that has a productive career at St. Francis I mean Bailey can step in there and play right away my opinion I don't I don't know much about what. We we you and I talked before about how many guards they've got coming in there. Yeah, I mean that could obviously that that's going to be a factor. But oh, for sure. But but just love Bailey's motor and and love both. I love both kids and how smart they are on the court. So anything else recruiting wise, Crossroads League? Um, uh, we talked about Garrett Huntington brought in an Australian guy and Zach Goodline, a transfer from Oakland University. He's a solid guard, and then uh, Taylor got. Gavin Yoon from Lawrenceburg over by Cincinnati. Yep, like him. Like him. Good, good, uh, heady kid. Shoots the ball pretty well. Um, Four-year starter at Lawrenceburg for Coach Blackwell. And, um, you know, I don't know what Taylor has ahead of him, but he's a kid that I liked uh, as he was coming through. And then uh, I don't think we talked about Charlie Oder committing last time, did we? Did we get to that? We did not. No, go. Okay, so, yeah, he ended up choosing Incarnate Word, Carson Cunningham's program out there. And uh, he's actually going to do a year of prep before he goes to school. I saw that. Do we know where he's going to prep? I haven't heard yet. No, it's still, okay. it's still up in the air. Speaking of Incarnate Word, Gus Etchison was announced on Twitter. He was close to a decision. And, and by our best guess, it was between them and Western Michigan. Yep. And if you looked at his pin tweet, that would tell you Western Michigan, but uh, yet to see an announcement from him. So um, we did we did miss one transfer in. That's Zach Owens going to Bethel, right? Right. That's right. Yeah, we did. We just talked about that too. Yeah. He, yeah. He was a kid that started out at Anderson, and then uh, in Anderson High School, should say, and then and ended up at Crispus Attics, and uh, family move. Got him a chance. Uh, just, a, just kind of a tough situation where the the big time Anderson family, and when he went to Attics, <laughs> kind of oddly created an issue. And uh, but at the same time, is you know sometimes as it is in some of those cities, especially the NCC schools like Anderson, Muncie, Richmond, places like that. Those. You know, a lot of the uh, industrial bases has closed down over the last decade and a half, or even two decades. It's it's led to a lot of families moving to Indy, and that's what happened with them. So, um, yeah, his his transfer into to Bethel for his final year, he'll help them. He's he's a kid that's um, scores at a pretty good clip. Had a good had a good couple years at at Attics, and. Um, you know he will uh, he'll he'll do well this year in the Crossroads League again. I don't know fully what they had coming back. You know way more about Bethel than I do. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, uh, Grant Gellin actually is is not coming back to Bethel this year. I think he's going to test the pro waters. It sounded like overseas. Oh, so okay. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Sorry to laugh. Okay. Sorry to laugh a little bit. Uh, no, that's all right. Yeah. I'll I'll take the heat for that one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he definitely will help. I've I've heard they also have a JUCO commitment, a big coming in, but that's not official yet. So we'll save that one for now. Uh, and then our oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, finish because I I was just going to switch topics to our final topic. Yeah, then... I was going to say along with the Charlie Yoder news that his dad actually also stepped down from the Westview head coach. Yes, he dad. did. Probably kind of anticipated yeah, and, with Charlie leaving. And that that happens. And that and that'll be interesting. You know, last time we talked about Fishers a little bit. Uh and again, no real word on who's applied. But if if Galloway hunts that job from Culver, uh get, gets him back in the public school system and also gets him closer to Bloomington where his kid's gonna be playing for the next four years. So um all right, real quick, NBA early entrance, at least in terms of Nogel Eastern and Justin Smith. And then well let's just let's hit on that. Eastern just testing the waters, get, getting some input and going back to Purdue. Is that what's gonna happen? Sounds like it, yeah. That's about all I could see him doing anyway with the way his season kinda ended. I felt like it was kinda kind of uh downhill for him toward last few games there good defender though i don't know i yeah and i i've been in the mindset that i get i get these guys one input but at the same time when you establish a baseline and a first impression like the fact that no gel eastern just can't shoot and his shot mechanics are definitely a work in progress right because I mean, we're going to talk about Justin Smith here in a, in, a, in a few seconds, but he is going to solidify in, in NBA scouts' mind that his shot mechanics need a lot of work. And if he doesn't go to Purdue next year or wherever, there's you know maybe transfers. Who knows? Um, there's no word of that. There may be some of that with Justin, but. If he doesn't go back next, you know, to college and, and really, really improve, even if he improves a little bit, a little bit's not going to be enough because you've got to now go out of your way to break that first impression that you established. Right. And that is coming from someone who's dealt with that from a coaching perspective with a, with two or three of his guys. I mean, I've coached guys that have done this and in two instances, it's been like, look, it just cemented in their mind what they needed to work on to the point where if it didn't drastically improved that hurt their stock you know and that's where eastern's sitting right now and i don't know what his stock was i mean he's an intriguing athlete and if you if you if you were ever at a point where you viewed him as a point guard he's intriguing but He's not been able to tr- translate that into the Big Ten, and I don't see him translating that yeah, at the NBA level. For sure. Now, Justin Smith, probably athletically, is is sort of similar in that he's just athletically, body-wise, probably passes the airplane test. You know, he comes off, looks great. 
definitely a guy who got better from his sophomore year to his junior year. Surprisingly led Indiana in minutes last year. And while his shooting percentage, his three-point percentage is rough, I think his shot mechanics are okay. And it will be the curious, the curiosity will be is what input does he get that impacts not just his return to college, but his return to Indiana? Does he end up looking to go somewhere else where there's less heat on him because Jerome Hunter looms? And if, if Jerome Hunter proves to be that outside shooter slash gravity changer, offensively then Justin's looking at more time at the four for Indiana which is probably going to happen anyway because they've not really they didn't really bring in anybody to replace what Deron Davis the playing time Deron Davis got so it's basically going to be Trace Jackson Davis Joey Bronk Race Thompson somewhere in there someone's getting minutes as a fourth big and that's Justin Smith and whether or not he wants to be that guy. Uh, there, there's a, some whispers going around that if he does come back to college, it may be as a grad transfer to somewhere else. That'd be an And yeah. And he's a dude that if at any point you think his shot can translate, I, you know, I'm not sure he ever gets to the point where he's that, that kind of a shooter. I mean, maybe he's like a P.J. Tucker type guy where he, in five or six years as a pro, becomes a corner three guy who can guard multiple positions. That's his best bet. Now, that's a hell of an NBA career right there. <laughs> and that, I mean, P.J. Tucker, I don't think anybody grows up wanting to be compared to P.J. Tucker. No. But that's a guy making good money. If he can be that guy, then – you know, who knows? Because athletically, he's that guy. Body type-wise, he's that guy. Uh, defensively, on the ball, he's that guy. Or at least comparably so, you know, at a comparable level. But off the ball, he's, he's hit and miss, man. Yeah, and I was gonna makes say, a lot of mistakes. Yeah, I was going to say the cons his consistency is what killed him this year, isn't it? I mean, sort of. I mean, I don't know what... I mean, Coach Miller just seemed pretty resolute. He was just going to play the three spot. And he played a lot of three. Played a little bit of four, but, but played a lot of three. And I'm of the idea that – I know I know IU had a lot of injuries. So let, let's phrase that. Let's, let's frame it that way. But if Justin Smith's leading your team in minutes, you're probably going to be an average basketball team. And guess what? Indiana was an average basketball team. Now, luckily, average is better than mediocre, which is what they were two years ago. And I think they're finally getting that culture set down there to where they got guys that just come in and just work and grind and, and want to want to be physical, want to be good teammates. And they're, they're starting to just become the guys that Coach Miller recruited. And so it'll be it'll be interesting to see if Justin goes back. I, I It's at best 50 50 that he leaves. I, I don't know that he would leave, but 
I know like about three days after he, he announced it started to come back, like started getting messages saying, Hey, he may not come back. Like he may not, he may transfer. And I don't know. I don't know if he transfers. It's because he's looking to find somebody that says, look, you're our three. You're going to get a lot of shots. You're going to get more opportunities. You know, there's no question. Trace is going to get the bulk of the attention offensively next year. It's not like Joey Brunk's not going to have his opportunities to score. And with Hunter coming, you know, with Hunter getting more and more healthy or getting healthier every week, every month, guys like Leal, who you know is going to should get time because he's such a good shooter. Um, you know, Armand Frank, there's just a lot of guys soaking up those wing position spots. And that if Justin Smith's going to get more playing time, it's because he's going to be that small ball four. And whether or not he wants to be that guy, I don't know. So, um, the G League recruiting, <laughs> the G League recruiting top players to their their new like developmental teams, and Penny Hardaway having an issue with it, saying it's not fair and. Blah, 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 blah. Do we care about what Penny Hardaway thinks? Yeah, basically any college coach really, I mean, honestly, any college coach shouldn't be saying that. I mean, right. I mean, Penny Hardaway and John Calipari, at least from an Indiana fan perspective, has to be the, the two, two of the more least <laughs> sympathetic characters in basketball right now. Um Calipari, just from the Kentucky standpoint, you know, just the competitive nature of it. But Penny, from, you know, he's one year in, he's already got recruiting violations. Right. You, you know, and and people trying to make him out to be a good guy, he's helped his family move. I mean, I, I don't know. The, the next time I spend five figures trying to help a family move because a kid can play basketball is the first time I spend five figures. Um, and I've taken in two kids in my tenure as a, as a summer coach. Um, you know, one was an issue of convenience and the, uh, in terms of just him spending a lot of time here in the summers because of AAU, the other was just cause his home life was so challenged just because of the neighborhood he lived in as well, that it just made more sense. Sure. And, you know, and, and, or it made a lot of sense, but at, at no point did, was I spending, you know, a lot of money trying to get some family to move closer to the situation that I was coaching in and then trying to play it off. Like it was no big deal when I became a college coach. I, I don't know. I, I thought I love irony. So the fact that Penny Hardaway's speaking out publicly against the G League and it not being quote fair, oh uh, yeah, hilarious. <laughs> and that's as, as ironic as it gets. Um, but what what do you think? I mean, I don't know that anybody thinks college basketball is going to complete is going to suffer from this. I mean, because we didn't have. I mean, it, we had, we went until two thousand six with guys could go to the league right away. And it wasn't like college basketball wasn't extremely popular before then. Any uh, any negatives? Any like over any overriding negatives on the G League doing this? I don't think so. I mean, 
And I don't think it sounds like the many coaches are really worried about it either. I think they're still going to get all their most of the players that they want. Uh, but they've only had a few issues, haven't they? The UCLA kid wasn't he the one that was kind of the, the well, he was commit. Yeah, he was signed a letter of intent, yeah. so he was definitely committed. Yeah, so he's really the only one that's really caused any issues. I guess if you would have any issues with it. And I, and that's a preparation standpoint, but that's that goes back to making sure you have well-rounded classes and that you're not banking it on one or two kids. Sure, uh, you know, and you know, as much as we talk a lot about trickle down on certain subjects, this is going to be trickle up. This is going to be if the G League siphons off what twenty kids who all think they're going to get drafted and be big-time players. Let's let's eliminate anybody that plays in USA basketball. Let's just say everybody that goes that route is is just going to go straight to the G League now, um, or some professional league, which I'm fine with. You know, you looked at some of those draft classes in the mid 2000s, and there were eight, anywhere from six to eight guys every year that would go early. I mean, they're going to lose some more talent to this. But at the end of the day, people that are gaga about college basketball are still way more worried about the names across the chest yeah. than they are about the names in the back. Yeah. And which that goes into the whole branding, marketing, you know, selling their likeness thing, you know, issue, which that's, we'll talk about that some other time maybe. Yeah. But I was going to kind of add a little bit about that. I think, I think that's something that would definitely help the, the NCAA keep kids like like that that would potentially go to G League. That's going to help them out a little bit, I think. It, yeah, it could and and maybe that's something we talk about more in depth at a different, you know, different time, but cuz we're already almost 2 hours in here, but um it, it was good that we, you know, we struggled to find something to talk about and this is probably going to end up being our longest podcast, but um Yeah, it it is I don't think college basketball is going to suffer at all for this. And, and it's, it's not like, cause they're still going to get the, the top teams are still going to recruit fight for the top players. The, the question is going to be is, can they win with them? We're going to find out now. Can these dudes really coach? Because the difference between the top seven players in a class and the and the the eight through twenty, that gap is way bigger, in my opinion, than twenty through a hundred. Yeah. And so, if you're scraping off those can't miss one and done dudes, that really change your program, especially if you're a program that's used to getting a couple of them. Again, that there's not much difference between the twentieth guy in the class and the hundredth. So now you really got a coach. And and even if even if we skew the curve to the point where the twentieth guy is now the top dude being recruited to college, it doesn't change his overall ceiling and it doesn't change his talent level relative to the hundredth guy in a in a in a high school class. And so you're not going to be able to rely college coaches that are used to getting these guys aren't going to be able to rely on that freshman who comes in right away and can just beat out older guys 
or that guy that you're promising that type of playing time to. Um, so we're going to really see who can coach and who can't. And, you know, you look at a guy like Calipari, who's been successful before he got to Kentucky, versus a guy like Penny Hardaway, who's, you know, got his he's gotten what he's gotten because he's Penny Hardaway. Right. We'll we'll see. We'll we'll see because a lot of guys like that have, have not done well. And and um, not not that others haven't. But Danny Manning also. Guys, yeah. Yeah, guys that get jobs because of their name, guys that get jobs because um you know Jawan Howard, think of the yeah. start Michigan had and then the struggles they had, you know, as the season went on. Um, you know, and the jury's still out on him, but it's, it's, um, you know, it's almost like Jawan Howard, as they got into the big 10 season, it became that, that, that rookie, at the baseball, you know, the major league baseball, who they're, they're starting to figure out the more film they get on his, you know, the more film they get on him, the easier, you know, the, the more, he, you know, the scouting report becomes a, yeah. a factor in, in his production. So, um, it was easier for Jawan Howard to get wins when he was playing teams that didn't have a chance to scout him. And then when teams started taking away the things that he was doing well, or his teams were doing well, did he have much of a counter? And then you just rule the fact that maybe Michigan was playing well at the beginning of the year and in the big tens, a tough, the big tens, a tough conference. So, I mean, let's not bury the guy, but you know, they started the year out eight, no nine and oh, and everybody thought, Oh my God, this is so great. And then all of a sudden they hit a wall. And, um, you know, Chris Holtman hit the same wall at Ohio State this year. And, you know, we're not having the same conversation because he wasn't somebody that got his job because just because of his name. Yeah, exactly. He got his job because he was he worked his way up. And um, now to Jawan Howard's credit, he was an NBA assistant for a number of years. Penny Hardaway was AAU coach who could, you know, obviously pay five figures to get a kid to move across the state. <laughs> to play for his AAU team and play for, you know, to play for his high school team. So Did Danny, sometimes I just feel like I – Danny Manning was a tall – Sometimes player. I don't – yeah, he and he got a chance to work his way up a little bit. He was an assistant. Then he became a head coach at a, at a lower level, you know, at a mid-major. Uh, but back to Penny, sometimes I just feel like I, you know, maybe I don't do enough <laughs> in terms of the money that I spend to maybe get guys. Um, better but – uh, yeah, I need to re- yeah, I need to rethink my priorities. I need to start breaking into my uh, reti- breaking into my retirement. If it's if but, that's still there. Yeah, it is actually. I'm I'm good. I'm all right. <laughs> I'm shel- I'm sheltered in that regard. Okay. When in doubt, the answer is when in doubt, the answer is real estate. There's <laughs> <laughs> not a lot, but just enough. So um well we got anything else? It may, it may not be horrible to talk about the uh the, 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 a little bit deeper into the G League thing later, um, and uh, how that plays into recruiting and all that stuff. But, but it, as far as the stuff we've already talked about, is there anything we need to like seal up before any loose ends we need to seal up before we sign off here? Not that I can think of. I think we covered a lot of it pretty well. Two hour, two hour podcast long enough. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that's good. Well, it was good. I'm glad we struggled to find something to talk about this week. Um, I suppose we could break it down into two podcasts, but we'll see. Um, people won't know that until the the very end when we just say it. So, uh, Zach, appreciate your time as always. And, uh, 
next Monday for sure. We'll be back at it. Not sure what topic we'll figure out to talk about, but, but obviously we'll make it work. Uh, got anything coming up this week that uh, we should know about other than e-learning? No, as I was going to say, got a couple more weeks of e-learning here before we, we knock off for the summer. I mean, we've already kind of, when, when, break. when does it end? When does it officially end? Uh, mine officially ends on the 21st. So you got three more weeks. Three more weeks here. Yep. Okay. So that means I'm. Or no, two and a half. Yeah, two and a half. Two weeks. Really. I'm, I'm, I'm grinding along here with my daughter and her her learning and and my teaching at the same time. So a little bit of a challenge at times. Oh, that's. But how old's your daughter? She's a first grader. Oh dear lord! Yeah. Well, God love it. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. I've uh, that's the that's the age where you're like, yeah, that's the struggle right there. Yeah, that's not old enough to stay honed in on their own, and and uh, but you you definitely got to keep them learning because they exactly. they need to they need that base they need that baseline for sure. no question. So, uh, you know, not I, I again. I feel sorry for th- these freshmen who everything they do from here on out is based on crap they learned as a freshman, uh-huh. you know, and the C learning stuff is, um, I know there's, I know there's going to be some future in it, but that it was throw, shoved down everybody's throat this year. Uh, I, I know some kids that struggle with it just from the standpoint of, they just don't get the attention the the time they need to really, work through things they they need to work on but um, yeah, it's gonna, definitely gonna be unfortunate for a bunch of kids then in the long but it's, it's definitely it's definitely th- no fault of the teacher there i've seen some good stuff on facebook about what some of these teachers are doing just here in carmel alone and it's it's been it's been amazing to why i from my standpoint as somebody that stares at a computer screen most of the day anyway i would have i probably would have done really well so that's what i was probably doing back then anyway except it was green and things were blinking <laughs> as opposed to these, as opposed to these nice graphical unit, these nice GUIs now. Yeah. So but anyway, well, that does it for another edition of the uh, courts at Indiana podcast. Uh, this was episode eight, Zach, appreciate your time as always. Yeah. Thanks for, and uh, we'll, 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 we'll talk to you get everybody next week. Yeah.